this morning, I want to ask a question. Are you doing the minimum or are you doing the maximum? Are you doing the minimum or the maximum? Years ago, long enough ago to where I can tell the story and nobody will know who I'm talking about, a young man came to me and he said that he wouldn't be coming to church here anymore. And so uh, I, I've had these conversations before. A lot of you have had these conversations with folks. Of course, I wanted to know why. I was concerned about him, and he said he'd be going to another church. And I said, well, is this something that we've done? No, it's nothing that you've done. Do you feel that you know, there's something that I'm teaching that isn't true? No, it's nothing like that. He said, I think this is a good church. I just wish it were a lot simpler. I said, can you explain that to me? What, what do you mean by simpler? He said, I just want to go to a church that has Bible class, Sunday morning worship, Sunday night worship, midweek Bible study, and that's it. He said, you're always asking us to be somewhere for a fellowship or some service project or some youth activity. And he said, I don't think churches should be that complicated I just want to go to a church that has worship services and then let you go about your business. Well, I didn't know what to tell him about that because certainly we weren't going to change our approach to it. And uh, he had found a church that would do exactly what he wanted, to just hold a few worship services every week and ask nothing for the in-between times. And so he parted ways and... If I understand correctly, he's, he's doing well, but uh, he wanted a simpler church. And that introduces the idea that I'm talking about. Some people want the minimum, and some people want the maximum. There are two ways of thinking about the local church. And the first way is the way that young men thought. They ask, what's the minimum? And these are not bad people. I want you to understand, they see church in a, in a lot of good ways, but they look at church as a list of do's and don'ts, and they want to know what is required of them. They want to make sure they do what is required. Uh, they may have really good church attendance. They may read their Bibles regularly, pray regularly. They're not bad people. It's just the way they look at things. What do I have to do? What must be done? What is required? Those are the people who are asking, what's the minimum? The other group of people ask, what's the maximum? How much can I do for God? That's a different mentality. Those who think this way have Christ and the church at the center of their lives. And everything they do in their work life, in their social life, centers on that in is in submission to that. So these folks have a different mindset. They never achieve the maximum, but they're constantly focused on the Lord. And as they grow, the potential for maximum increases. And so they continue to reach and stretch to do and to think and to believe and to worship to the maximum. The question this morning is, are you one of those maximum people? Or are you one of those minimum people? It's a matter of emphasis. For those who ask, what's the minimum? God is one who gives judgments, gives restrictions, uh, 
and focuses on your weaknesses. For those who ask, what's the maximum? God is merciful. He's graceful. He empowers us. He makes us effective for every good work. What is your mentality? Do a little self-examination this morning and ask. How do I approach the local church? Do I do it asking what's the minimum? Or I do it asking what's the maximum? And to help you answer that question as you do a little self-evaluation, we're just going to outline it that way. First, we're going to talk about the minimum because there are minimum requirements for being a part of a local church. And then we'll ask about the maximum. Let's start with the minimum, though. And there are several things that are minimum requirements for you being a member of the local church. Let me explain what I mean when I say local church. The word church is used in two senses in the New Testament. The first sense is of the universal church. And, and whenever you're baptized into Jesus Christ, you're added to that church. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. The Lord adds you to His church, the body of Christ, worldwide. Uh, when you become a Christian, you're a part of the universal church. But there's another sense in which the word church is used, and it's used in a local sense. In that sense, it can be used in the plural. Now, when we talk about the universal church, there is one body, Ephesians 4.4. 4. But there are many local churches or congregations. And so you'll see Paul writing letters to the churches, plural, of Galatia. Or Romans 16.16, 16, the churches of Christ, in the plural, salute you or greet you. Uh, meaning the, the various congregations in local parts of the world greet you. So those are the two senses. And this morning I'm thinking about the second sense. The local sense. Asheville Road Church of Christ. Your local church. What's the minimum requirement to be a member here? And the first thing is to obey God's plan of salvation. Before you can be a member of the local church, you've got to be added to the universal body of Christ by the Lord. No one is a member of any church without the Lord adding him or her to that body. And the plan of salvation is very clear. Many of you have heard this many times before. I won't belabor this point. But there are conditions set forth in Scripture. For example, belief. John 8, 24, Jesus said, If you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Repentance, Luke 13, 3. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Confession, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Whoever acknowledges or confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me, him will I deny before my Father who is in heaven. And then baptism. We are baptized into Christ. Galatians 3.27. That's when God adds us to his body. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You're not forgiven until the moment that you rise out of the waters of baptism. And so, for you to be a member of the local church, God must add you to the universal church. And He does that when you respond to His grace and goodness by obedience to the gospel plan of salvation. Every local church is a part of the overall body of saved believers. Now, number two, second minimum requirement, assemble regularly with brothers and sisters in the faith. 
The essential activities of the church are done in groups. Uh, for example, look at uh, Ephesians 5.19. We're to sing, but we're to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts. How do you address one another when you're in isolation, when you're alone? This is a question that's come up, you know, since COVID, when we were isolated for a time. Some remain in isolation, because, some because they have to, due to health reasons, and some just because they prefer to worship in isolation. But what does God call us to do? He calls us to assemble together. When we take the Lord's Supper, it's when we come together. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty and following. And so that assembly is needful. And that doesn't mean just one or two Sundays a year. You know, the CEOs, the Christmas and Easter only crowd. That's, that's not what he's talking about there. But regularly, that's what we're talking about, as much as you possibly can. Uh, the services of the Lord in the morning, in the evening, midweek Bible studies, whenever you can come together. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 say, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Number three, why do we assemble? Let's give a few reasons for this. We must assemble for worship. Other assemblies are common in the Lord's church, but worship is non-negotiable. Churches worship God. It's one of the reasons we're put on earth. And we know that the early Christians assembled for worship on a weekly basis on the first day of the week, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Uh, we know that also from the first Corinthian letter, where in chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, they're told to lay something by uh, every first day of the week so that Paul didn't have to gather up contributions uh, when he visited the city of Corinth. Worship is so important for the Lord's church. That's where glory to God should be found. Look at Ephesians 3.21. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Number four. We also assemble to hear the Word of God. If you don't have the Word of God in your life, then you are dying on the vine, as they say. God's Word is living and abiding. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. We can't live by bread alone, but we as Christians live and are nourished by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. You look at the example of the early churches in Acts chapter 6, and the church grew as the word of the Lord increased. There's a correlation there between the preaching of the word and the growth of the early church, and you see that in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So if the word of God is not sustaining the life of the church it will die spiritually if it doesn't die physically. Next, we assemble to partake of the Lord's Supper. This should be done every first day of the week when we come together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20. When you come together, you should eat the Lord's Supper. And so we gather together as we just have to remember the Lord's death, symbolizing His blood and His body with the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. And we do that until he comes. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. One last minimum requirement that I want to mention 
is to submit to scripturally qualified shepherds. And this really gets us down to being a member of a local church. By scripturally qualified, I'm of course talking about the qualifications that are listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. God has told us what kind of elderships he wants, what kind of shepherds he wants over these local congregations. And they're needed to rule, particularly in matters of discretion. You know, there are a lot of general commands of the Bible that need wisdom to apply. You can't just know how to make disciples without some kind of program, without some kind of teaching, some kind of wisdom involved. And, and elders provide that. They shape the distinctions. They, they tell us when we gather together, for example. They tell us how we're going to budget the Lord's money and many, many other things. And everyone needs shepherds in their life to guide them and to guide them individually and collectively. Even Saul of Tarsus, after he obeyed the gospel, sought to join a church. Now, I know we try to, to distinguish between being added to the Lord's body and joining a church, as in joining the church of your choice. You know, whenever we're talking about the universal church, you don't choose your church. God adds you to the body. But when you move into an area, you need to choose a local congregation. And that's what we see Saul doing in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Because of his past, the brethren there were a little nervous about Saul worshiping with them. You know, he had persecuted Christians. Maybe some of their own friends had died or had been imprisoned because of the influence of this man. And it took Barnabas, who came up alongside of him and vouched for his credible faith before the apostles there, uh, to make the people relax and for him to be accepted into the membership there. I think that's an example for us to follow today. I think when people move into a new area, they need to find a congregation of the Lord's people. They need to meet the elders, and the elders need to hear about their faith and their, their background and their desires. And there, there needs to be some conversation there about membership. And uh, churches have to do that organizationally to, to operate and function as God would have them in a local area. Now, I'm not saying this is a comprehensive list, but as I sat down and thought about the minimum requirements that make a local church a local church, this is it. Now, there are a lot of religious organizations that don't qualify as churches. To explain what I mean by this minimum, uh, let me give you a few examples. There are places like uh, Christian schools that educate people with a Bible background, those aren't churches. They're religious organizations, but they're not churches. Uh, conventions, like Lads to Leaders or Polishing the Pulpit. There's preaching there, there's a training, but they're not churches. Publishers, like Apologetics Press or networks like GBN, do a lot of good in this world, but they're not churches. They don't take the place of churches. Homes like Child Haven and Rainbow Omega, we support as Asheville Road. We, we contribute to them on a monthly basis. However, they're not churches. And benevolent organizations like Healing Hands or Churches of Christ Disaster Relief bring a, a lot of relief into the world, but they're not churches. You can't replace the local church. We can do without any or all of those organizations I just listed. They're very helpful. They're good resources. We could live without them, but we couldn't live without the local church. The power is in the local church. 
That's the organization God put on earth to spread the gospel. And that's where the gospel needs to continue to be spread from. We need to encourage our young men to be preachers and to be elders in the Lord's church. By that I mean any ministers, youth ministers, preachers, other ministers. But we need young men to to serve the Lord in those capacities going forward. There's a dreadful attrition in ministry today. And I think a lot of it is because we're failing to see the importance of the local church. We need our young women to aspire to be teachers, influencers, mothers, leaders in their own way because that is needful for the local church. If we don't have the local church, Christianity dies. These are the minimum requirements for a local church to exist. And maybe your mentality is, as long as I have these things covered, I'm good. That may be the way you approach things. Think about it. Now, while you're thinking about that, let's move to the maximum. And let's talk about what that means. And evaluate yourself and ask, am I someone who is okay with the minimum, or do I seek more? Does, do I think that God wants more out of my life than just those simple things? Am I one who never wants to stop growing? Now, there's a lot of ways to talk about the maximum. There's a lot of areas in Christian life that we're to seek growth. But the one I want to focus on that I think will challenge us is the area of good works. Let's just go through some passages of Scripture that talk about good works and ask ourselves, do we think about these enough? And the first one I want to go to is Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the Sermon on the Mount, here's what Jesus says. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our job is to live on earth in such a way that people see that God is real. That's our job. Your life ought to tell people there is a God, He is alive. They ought to see something so distinctive about the way you live and your attitude and the choices you make, the way you raise your children, the way you conduct yourself at work. It ought to seem unusual to them. How could they have that kind of love? How could they, they give that kind of service? How can they be so selfless? Do you live in that way that gets people's attention? Are there any good works in your life that cause people to turn their heads, pause in their skepticism and think, you know, maybe God really is alive. Maybe he really does exist. Does your life do that in the world around you? Now, we're not looking here at some quid pro quo. I want to I make that abundantly clear. Jesus is not saying, churches, if you want to grow, do good works, and the people that you do good works for, they will be obligated to come to your church and join you in your work. I think too many times we look at that and we get frustrated, right? Because that's not the way it, it works in application. A lot of times we do good works in this community and other places, and the, the favors never return. You know, there have been a lot of things that we've done that have yielded zero visits, zero Bible studies, zero interest. And sometimes we're tempted to wonder, you know, is it just a waste of our time? We need to get some context on this. And to get some context, go to Luke chapter 6, verse 35. 
which uh, is around the instruction that we're examining here from Matthew 5, 16. Luke 6, 35. Jesus says, love your enemies and do good and lend, get this, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Watch this. For He is good to the ungrateful and the evil. God is indiscriminately good. He's good to good people. He's good to bad people. He's good to grateful people. He's good to ungrateful people. He's good to the nine lepers who are unthankful. He's good to the one leper who comes back and says, thank you. And that's how we ought to live our lives. We ought to live our lives so that we can look like our God. But the point here is, when you do, it's going to turn heads. It's going to make people curious. And maybe they don't, maybe they don't become Christians. But maybe their skepticism is disarmed. Maybe they start to wonder. Maybe that's the beginning of their their thoughts about God's existence and His goodness in this world. Let's look at another passage on good works. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Here Paul says, By grace you've been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And then he says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. First, he says, good works do not produce grace. It's by grace that you have been saved, through faith. It is not your own doing. Grace precedes good works. Good works do not produce grace. Grace produces good works. Verse 10, we, by grace, are his workmanship. The Greek word there is poema, which we get our word poem from. Very interesting word. It has to do with composing or making a masterpiece. We are his workmanship. We are God's work of art. We are God's poem. And what is that artwork for? What is that masterpiece's design? What, what's its function? To walk in good works. God saved us to that purpose. So that we can show His goodness and His kindness in the world around us. That's what it's for. That's what the church is for. That's what local churches are all about. Let's go to the text Brother James read for us just a moment ago. Titus 2, 11 through 14. Look at the first two verses of that text, verses 11 and 12. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Now, do you see the connection here between this and Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians 2 said, good works do not produce grace. Grace produces good works. And here Paul says, the grace of God has appeared, and the grace of God brings salvation for all people. And the grace of God is what trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And the grace of God is what teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. We're not saved by our works. We cannot save ourselves. We are sinful and unrighteous people. 
All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. You're not good enough to go to heaven. But thanks be to God that Jesus died to pay the debt you owed. And that death ought to produce faith in us. And the response of faith brings us to salvation. That's the plan of salvation I was talking about a moment ago. Belief, repentance, confession, baptism. Those are acts of faith where we respond to God's grace and God saves us. We don't rescue ourselves. We depend on Him. He saves us. And that salvation is what motivates us, or to use Paul's language, trains us to do good, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to to get some self-control over our lives. How can I continue in this bad habit when God has done so much for me, when Christ has paid such an awful price? How can I keep doing this? I must repent. I must live better. Self-controlled, upright, righteous, godly lives. Right now, in the here and now. Not waiting for heaven to be good, but wanting to be good right here and now. And, And Paul continues this theme in Titus, going on down in verse 14, to say that our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Zeal has to do with earnestness, enthusiasm, and commitment. Let me repeat that. Zeal has to do with earnestness, enthusiasm, and commitment. That's how God describes his own people. Now, this is a a common theme in the book of Titus. So I want to look at some more passages in Titus. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. He doesn't say be ready to do you know, that, that Christmas project at the end of, end of the year. Be ready to walk for water and build clean wells. Be ready for, you know, that door knocking campaign that happens every spring. He says, be ready for every good work. God is putting opportunities in front of you every single day. Do you see them and do you, do you open that door of opportunity and serve? Every day there's some opportunity that God sets in front of you. Are you ready for every good work? And are you ready to do that for all people? He's not just talking about good people or your friends or your family, but show courtesy, perfect courtesy toward all people. There's more in Titus chapter 3. Look at verse 8. It's good to keep in mind here that Titus is a manual for being a minister. So Titus is a young apprentice, you might say, of of the Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing this letter, like the two letters to Timothy, to teach him how to preach in a local church. I look at this even more so than 1 and 2 Timothy, which are also this type of thing. But Titus, to me, is my manual for being a, a preacher in a local church. And you can just see Paul giving him just practical advice here on what he's supposed to teach. He's giving him sermon ideas, one right after another. And in verse 8, he says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. 
Titus, you the preacher, I want you from the pulpit to insist on this. To make sure your church is doing this. What is it? So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. That's been one of our goals for 2022. Devoted from uh, Acts 2, 42 and following. The last application of that is service. And here Paul's saying, I want you to teach them to be devoted to good works. Same thing in verse 14 of that same chapter. He says again, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Titus, you're a preacher. Your job, among other things, is to teach people to devote their lives to good. Now, there are a lot of other areas for growth. If you're a maximum mentality person, uh, we're to grow in love. Philippians 1.9, Paul said that he prayed that the Philippians' love would abound more and more. We're to grow in spiritual maturity. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. We're to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter uh, 3, verse 18. We're to grow in the Christian graces. 2 Peter 1.8. In faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. We're to grow. Paul says if you increase, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the kingdom of God. We're to bear fruit. But I think good works is a good thing for us to concentrate because it's the most evident of all these things. It's hard to judge if you love more this year than last year. It's hard to judge if you've grown in your knowledge over the course of the last five years. But you can tell if you're growing in your service and good works to God. So I want, to, I want you to ask yourself, am I a minimum Christian or a maximum Christian? Now don't start putting everything away. I've got a long conclusion here, okay? I'm just getting you ready. I want you, this is, this is the part I really want you to listen to, okay? I don't have any more slides, that's why. I'm always hesitant to pull that last slide up. But I want you to listen. What does Jesus want from you? Does he want you to think minimum requirements or maximum requirements? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, What is he saying there? Just do what you have to. And I'll come back and take care of the rest. No. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny yourself. Is that just doing the minimum? Not at all. If you haven't done so already, I, I want to encourage you to get involved here at Asheville Road. We try to give you as many opportunities as we can, try to make opportunities available for service for people of all kinds of talents and, and all kinds of abilities. Uh, we have sign-ups in the back. Most of you, I think, have, have signed up. But if you haven't done so already, that's a good starting place. Go online, go to our website, sign up for ministries, or, or just go to the Welcome Center in the back and look on the sheet there and see if there's something that you can do. 
Before I conclude, here, here's something I really want you to listen to. There's, there's several questions that come up when we talk about this kind of thing. And I, I want to be clear and I want to be compassionate here. Someone might ask, number one, can someone go to heaven if they're only doing the minimum? Well, first of all, that's a very minimum thing to say, right? But we wouldn't call these things minimum requirements if they weren't enough for you to go to heaven. I mean, the, if, if they weren't enough, then we'd have to put more minimum requirements. Minimum requirement means this is what you have to do to go to heaven. We're talking about a mindset here, though. And again, it's, it's hard to quantify. But the mindset may be an additional minimum requirement, which the mindset is, what's the most that I can do for God? And so maybe that's, maybe that's what you've got to ask yourself is, do I have the right mindset? Here's another concern. Somebody may worry, I'm afraid there's more that I could be doing. I hear a lot of good people express guilt over, you know, I should be reading my Bible more. I should be praying more. I should be talking to people about Christ more. Yeah, you'll never get to the point where you've done as much as you can do. There's always room for growth, but don't feel ashamed that you've got room for growth. Just grow. That, that's the point. God doesn't want you walking around feeling guilty all the time. He just wants you to grow. And you don't have to get to the top overnight. You can't do that. Just do a little bit more. And one last concern. A lot of people, as they get older, they feel bad because they can't do what they used to be able to do. They're physically unable to do what they used to do. Or maybe their, their kids have grown up and they're not in the youth group anymore, so they're not as involved in the youth activities. They're not as busy as they used to be. Maybe they're shut in. And all they can do is tune in to the live feed, as many of our good people are doing this morning. And they, they feel bad. You know, I, I can't do what I used to do, so God must be disappointed in me. No. You may not find anything back there to sign up for, and that's okay. You may not be able to do any of the things that we have up there. That list is not all you can do as a Christian. It's just the things our deacons need. It's information our deacons need in order to organize their work. And we don't necessarily need a list of people who can write cards or a list of people who can pray for others. But those are the most important things that you can do to be an encourager to make a visit, to make a phone call. You don't have to report that to the church. That doesn't have to be organized by the elders. You don't have to sign up on a sheet to, to do something like that. You can, just, you can just start doing it this afternoon. And a lot of you do that all the time. And, and a lot of you may not be able to come to many church services, but you can write a card or you can call somebody. And you do that. And it makes such a difference in this world. I think about what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, when he asked the Corinthian church to help him in preaching the gospel by praying for him. Just, just saying a prayer, Paul counted that as helping him in his amazing missionary journeys. So I want you to think about that if you're in that group of people who can't do what you used to do. Because a lot of, a lot of you are there now. And that's not what this is all about. 
keeping up pace with your 20s or your 30s. You know, you're going to, things are going to change. Opportunities are going to change. As you get older and more seasoned, you may have opportunities to do some of the best work in your life. And it's not something you can write down on a blank, on a sheet. But it's something you can do to make a real difference in the world. God's love and grace through Jesus on the cross caused us to rise up from medi- should cause us to rise up from mediocrity and ask the question, what can I do for the Lord? Not what I have to do, but what can I do? What's the most that I can do today? God has done so much for us. Is it too little to ask for us to do as much as we can for Him? Are you doing the most for God? Can you do more? Do you need some help? Can we pray with you? Do you need to get started this morning by obeying the gospel and Starting to work through those minimum requirements, let us help you with that. We're here for that. We have a song selected. We're going to sing. If you need help, please come right now as we stand together and as we sing.